This episode of Laser Time is brought to you by eLiquid. For 20% off your first purchase, visit eliquid.com slash laser and use promo code laser during checkout. Gentlemen, welcome to Laser Time, the Internet's 16th leading pop culture show. You know what? Not today. The no. third um, leading pop. Who else is with me today? Hello. Hey, my name's <laughs> Kevin Cole. Hi, Kev. Hey, they also call me the Primal Root. In the these Primal parts. Root. We you also yeah. have the Cassie gorgeous <laughs> Catherine Cassie Hubbard. Hubbard, Bootsy Kid. Uh, also, a uh, trash in my yeah, baby. If you listen to bonus time, <laughs> patreon.com slash laser time, you would have heard these kids already. You yeah, really should listen. Seriously. Yeah. We really should Come listen. You should go go to Cap City Video. These are Cap City Video kids uh, if you're ever in the North Florida area. But this is important because this week's episode is to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Roger Rabbit. One of the greatest oh. films ever made, man. Thank yes. you. And I would have, oh, yeah. I think Kev and I and Cass and I could have sat here all day and talked about how great this movie yeah, is. We but instead, did. Yeah. We, we did off mic. <laughs> but instead, we, we sought out the creator of Roger Rabbit, Gary K. Wolf, and he was yep. nice enough to sit oh. down for a conversation with us and tell us all about the creation of Roger Rabbit and like more pertinent to the date, the creation mm-hmm. of the movie, which he was very much mm-hmm. at the helm, not the helm of, but he was there every step yeah, of the... I didn't realize how hands-on he was. It was pretty right. pretty impressive. And how much they like kind of seemed to respect his uh, his word yeah. and, all, and all of it. Well, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you listen to our Tad Stone interview, you could see, well, one, I'm obsessed with the 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 culture of getting to Roger Rabbit mm-hmm. and like we don't even get upon that that like that slow introduction the painful development process of Roger Rabbit oh, the kicking out Pee Wee Herman as the voice of Roger Rabbit uh-huh. <laughs> have you ever heard that before because here it is another thing you tone down that goofiness you want my help you act like a human you understand oh yes sir but wouldn't it be more helpful if I started to, to, to came along with you because what what if maybe you gotta you gotta get into some more more lots or something and, 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 Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like like Roger Rabbit went through about seven years of production. I wouldn't say hell, but really came together when Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis and Coil, Richard Williams came on board. Labor, yes, labor of love. Mm-hmm. And I love Richard Williams' quote. It's one of my favorite things of any behind the scenes documentary. He's like, "This is going to be too. This is impossible." And he's like, "When you say impossible, <laughs> you mean hard." Yeah, it will be yeah, hard yeah. to animate characters, around, but it's not. It's not impossible. It's actually very. Easy to wrap your head around, just hard to do. I totally. think God they mm-hmm. believed in it, and they believed mm-hmm. in like the collaboration of it, mm-hmm. and wanted to, uh, you know, and that these other players, right? And they somehow got on board it. all these other competing cartoon stars. That's what blows my mind that they were able to get everybody on right. board. That Warner yes. Brothers could allow like Bugs <laughs> Bunny, Daffy Duck. There's like, a they're heavy. There's hitters. a promotional <laughs> image buried on the DVD of like the Warner Brothers characters and Woody Woodpecker and the mm. Disney characters yeah. standing next to one another. <laughs> that hasn't happened before. And it hasn't happened since. And I know we're in an era where those characters are not as important as they were even in 1988. But to me, they're very important. I always, you you guys haven't heard me yell this over and over again. Are you not into old (laughs) cartoons? (laughs) Fine. Take whatever you're into. The NBA, uh, Pogs. Like, I hope you get your Who Framed... kids do. Those are still important. I hope you get your Who Framed Roger Rabbit version of that. Like, it would be awesome to combine mm. everything you like into one film and pretend that all these characters and things live in this one ecosystem. And, like, that's half of what makes Roger Rabbit good. 
No, I really feel like we, like our generation was kind of on the tail end of what made all the golden age animation oh, man, so totally incredible. Because mm -hmm. we were watching it, yeah. it on mm -hmm. like TNT. It was constantly being aired it was everywhere. Yeah. 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 So to see all of them again and like with original voice actors. Yeah, and some of the racist shit just left in. <laughs> oh God, I remember. Oh man, yeah, yeah I remember that. Yeah, some <laughs> of that stuff is, is <laughs> not so much with the Disney stuff, but like other than other than um, cartoon all stars to the rescue, where Bugs Bunny tells you, "Ah, pot's dangerous, Doc. It's legal now, Bugs." And you you were so cool for fifty years, and you ruined you know, it. That one video. Bring him back now. He'll totally be you know. Pot isn't cool, Doc. Yeah, Tell him, Eeyore. And like that's that's like a, that's like the last time Disney and Warner Brothers characters got together and it was to tell you not to smoke pot which you can buy now at your probably your local <laughs> local Walgreens your look local at that rabbit in the yeah. eyes and tell me he wasn't token up between takes I'm just saying yeah exactly but Roger Rabbit it, it, like it, it's not only one of those things I think uh, we always say laser time is about checked nostalgia it's one thing to love something just because it's old and you grew up with it but like I bring up Flight of the Navigator and Roger Rabbit because it's fucking works it's still good yeah it's, it's really incredible. good stuff we bring and, and Roger holds Rabbit, up holds up Roger Rabbit, we've also talked about... I did a, a bunch of articles. 10 Things You Didn't Know About Laser Time. I talked all about that missing Roger Rabbit footage with Pee Wee Herman. I'll try mm. and link to that under this episode. One of the reasons why I think it's important, Disney was in such a bad state as a studio. Right. They're yeah. coming off of Black Cauldron, which is <laughs> oh, yeah. an admirable film, but yeah. like weird oh. and you can mm -hmm. see why it almost sunk the studio. They're not doing well in their animated division. They're not doing well in their live yeah. action division. Their parks and their merch, doing okay, mm -hmm. but... To put Mickey in this movie with drinking booze, ass slapping, cursing, hidden nipples <laughs> was was it was a risk of a studio that, that was teetering on the edge of uncertainty. Right. And that's why they reached out to Spielberg and Zemeckis, who none of them really worked together again for another 20 years. But tried and true for their time and, and apart from each other after yeah, that. Yeah, the made in uh, heaven, man. And we will pop, talk pop about culture the, heaven. Oh, we'll be able to mention the Back, the back to the Future connection. <laughs> Gary will hit us with a bunch of uh, a weird anecdotes. And I'm really looking forward to sharing this interview with you all as we talk about, like, for my money, I think is the best movie of my lifetime. You know, Ruben Roger Rabbit. Yeah. I could go along with you oh, on that, God, honestly. Absolutely. I think I, just about the it perfect, is, as perfect a movie as you can get. Right. It's it's my favorite, and it's still thoroughly enjoyable. You can watch it like when like put it on in front of a kid and like. And nothing and else terribly like it. That's what's so great. Yeah, it's like lightning a, in a bottle. Yeah. A milestone for its time, and also like thirty years later, still stands that test of time. It's really. I think an it's, incredible piece it's of the most approachable detective movie. Yes, it's a special. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, with that music and that that beautiful. Oh my God! And that swelling. That's in called your Valiant heart. and Valiant. Oh, <laughs> that's so right. Beautiful. <laughs> and that yeah, that brotherhood. It's got everything. You know, the mm. um, like just all the sentiment in the world and all the fun and the insanity. It's and if that movie doesn't shape your sexuality as a young <laughs> young man. Jessica Rabbit, let me tell you, I'm sitting You're across so from my redheaded. Oh my god, uh, Betty's got a little wow. bit of the yeah. side eye. At, uh, like, I married you know, Jessica Rabbit, basically. Jessica. So. Oh my god, girl. Yeah, look at this. Please. And then also like an, a great introduction <laughs> to like abstract horror in the character of Judge huh. Doom. Oh god, I've never. So I was so absolutely right. horrified when I saw it in the theater, but oh, then I saw it like god. at least. Ten times and you're a big horror, a Kev's child. a big horror guy. We oh. haven't said that. Oh so. yeah, yeah. This, mm -hmm. one of the single most frightening images of all Remember time. Remember me, Eddie? Oh my! Oh, With this dagger. Even now, thirty years later, my heart just <laughs> stops when <laughs> I hear that voice. And that 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 line is terrifying. It looks silly when he spring jumps over, but like, <laughs> but it's 
it's the so eyes. Like, the eyes are what sell it. And then man. he does the buzzsaw thing, and like that's still terrifying. <laughs> it's, it's terrifying, but it's so, so cool. Oh it's like God, I'm it's horrified, so but I also admire still how badass this horrifying so. character is. Dude, yes. Yeah, I can't say enough great things about this movie. Oh. Seriously, and, and I find it weird. And it, again, I keep saying this that it, Robert Zemeckis made it in between Back to the Future one and two. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. and that seems. I think those movies have overshadowed Roger for the last five or so years. Definitely. And I want that to change. And I want you guys to go out and watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I checked. It is not on Netflix anymore. But we will have <gasps> oh. links on where you can watch it yeah. on oh, lasertimepodcast.com beneath this episode. I encourage you to buy the Blu-ray. It's really, it's really good. It's packed with special features. And if you are so lucky enough to have a local video store in your vicinity, you would say that. Please, please <laughs> check out your local. Do you video guys? Can store. you confirm that you have it there? <laughs> we have it on Blu-ray and DVD. Ooh, Just, the old Vista I, series I, I, and wait, the it, absolutely. It's us or not, if it's Capsi Video Lounge or not, please. <laughs> but if not, get it anywhere. You can. It's just it's, it's you, worthwhile no matter where you get. If it. you happen to know of a video store and one screen micro theater that's having <laughs> that's having a celebration of the summer of nineteen eighty, the last week's showing. bonus time, people. Um, yeah, that's that's fantastic. I agree with you. If I was a Ross Perot type millionaire, I would love to buy over like the NBC ABC airwaves. I'm like <laughs> we're watching one movie tonight, kids. Oh, get ready. You don't get no. It's not the Voice. Mm-mm. We're watching Roger Rabbit tonight. I I, I love the movie so much. Gary was. Very kind to talk to, with us about it. If you didn't oh, know, okay. in uh, 1981, yes. Gary released a book called Who Censored Roger Rabbit. Mm. It was very, it was a little different than what we saw in the movies. I don't know if I'm clear in the interview. I was only disappointed in that, man, I t- I've told the story like eight times since we've been talking, but my parents gave me one choice in 1989. <laughs> you have one VHS, we'll buy you this year. It can be Batman or Roger Rabbit. It can't be both. And I had to sit there, like, oh. just imagine, like, a montage of me looking in different directions with my hand on my chin. Like, parents are saying, this. Oh, which one? I don't know what to choose. <laughs> Who does that to a child? And I, I, I chose Roger. I would ro- my watch. <laughs> but I would watch, watch Roger twice in a day. But that was 18 yes. months after its theatrical premiere day. And, and part of the reason, it's a different time. I barely remember growing up like that. But because I couldn't watch the movie when I wanted to, I'm like, I'll read the book. The only thing I can remember doing that with was Jurassic Park. I'm so desperate to oh, uh, experience yeah. this again. I'll read it, and I'm not a good reader. I'm not very smart. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was really mad at the book because it's not a lot like the movie at all. Like at all. they're all uh, they're all cartoon comic okay. strip stars. Mm-hmm. They speak in word balloons. Uh, there's mostly the same characters, but not the same co-stars. Mm-hmm. Or by that I mean like the Looney Tunes and the Disney characters don't right. really show up very often. They're mentioned, but they're not. So they're not featured as prominently as they are in the movie. But as I as I grew older and read it again, like this is a really fun writing exercise. Oh it's God. like if you like pulpy detective books, I really liked it, um, and I'm reading it right now again. And I'm going to read the rest because we'll talk to Gary why there might not be another Roger Rabbit anything for a while. Mm. Uh, and, and that's fine. Kev, you said it off mic that like it's this is fine. It's perfect. I was going to say yeah, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is such a perfect film. It's like. Mm-hmm. Making a sequel or even a prequel would just kind of sully it. It's like why even? Please no prequel. Why touch it? Just <laughs> please let no let it stand stand no, on its own. No, There's yeah. one good prequel, and that's good, the bad, and the ugly. And I don't remember why that's a prequel, but <laughs> apparently, thinks so they could have a civil war fight in it, and that's it. Let me tell you, Disney needs to 
get Who Framed Roger Rabbit in theaters. I mean, now it's in the 30, 30th anniversary to see it on the big screen again. Yeah. In a theater with an just audience. Just on the big screen, whether just it's that, that, you know, spoken about 3D or not, you know. I don't just, care. It's like the 3D, mm-hmm. whatever, just so people can bring their children oh, to God, share it with it them the in a theater so again. Beautiful. Right. Yeah. Well, you'll be doing that, though, right? Oh, yes, we yeah. will. Mm-hmm. That's in video lounge. Yeah, if you're in the North Florida area, I'll be there. I'll be there. I, I call middle seat, and I'm going to reserve it. the first two <laughs> for for booze oh, and the next God. chair for handkerchiefs because like I get uh, really weird and oh, weepy. Oh, for whenever when that, that, that saxophone comes It is. It's always Valiant, a fucking Valiant, Sylvester God. music. The Valiant, but even like I love the last song. Oh. Like I, it, it, like the movie's not a sad ending at all. No. It ends with that, a kiss. It's such a fun movie. Please go watch it and please listen to this interview with Gary K. Wolf. We'll be right back. As many of you listeners well know, I have been on the vape train for a couple years now and I've never looked back. It's a lifestyle choice I'm glad I made, but that doesn't mean it's not without its frustrations. Where to get your liquids, replacement coils, vape accessories, etc. Every physical vape shop I've ever been to has an entirely different stock of everything. That's why I'm happy we're sponsored today by eLiquid. And yes, you lucky listeners can get 20% off your purchase just by going to eLiquid.com laser. That's E-L-I-Q-U-I-D.com slash laser and using promo code laser at checkout, provided you're over 21, of course. eLiquid.com makes it easier than ever to get what you need. Unlike the stores in my surrounding area, they have everything I need and I don't have to make multiple stops. Instead, it's shipped right to me. Oh, look, e-liquid's not only got my favorite flavor, they have the coils that I need when that place down the road is sold out for Lord knows how long. They've got over 44,000 items in stock, in fact. Everything from e-liquid, hardware, tanks, replacement coils, atomizers, batteries, to DIY supplies, and everything is easy to navigate thanks to the user-friendly shopping experience. I even started browsing for new stuff thanks to the site's descriptive product details and customer reviews. Oh, and not only is everything generally less expensive than your local store, it'll come straight to your door. In fact, eLiquid is an industry leader in incredibly fast shipping, with most orders shipping the same day you order, as long as you buy by 2 p.m. Pacific. And shipping to most states is free in the continental U.S. with no minimum order value required. Sorry, Arkansas, Washington, and Utah. So check out eLiquid's largest unmatched selection of vaping products, all competitively priced. And once again, save yourself 20% off your first order by going to eLiquid.com slash laser. That's E-L-I-Q-U-I-D dot com slash laser and use the promo code laser during checkout. Would you like exclusive bonus podcast commentaries and more from the Laser Time crew? Then we strongly encourage you to support this show on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. It supports not only this show, but all the rest of the Laser Time network. You'll get commentaries, play games with the hosts, see exclusive videos first, and receive an uncut weekly ad-free podcast bonus time. Speaking of which, here's a quick taste. But there, and then um, somebody just randomly wanted to have a um, cannibal movie feature, a uh, double feature, so they brought like all their oh, friends, we- made like cupcakes with like body parts on uh-huh. them and like Jack Campbell the musical <laughs> and raw you know so it was they just felt like I it. remember it somebody for their birthday I uh, showed the blu-ray HD version of uh, Necromantic yeah oh my and invited God. all their friends what out Necromantic? <laughs> and, oh my God. it's a German horror oh, film where God. a chick fucks a corpse it's like the whole movie is about her Fucking a corpse? That Pretty is, much. And there's a sequel, too. But, uh, yeah, hey, come rent it at Cap City Video Lounge. We have both of them. Oh, my God. Yeah. 
But I just thought it was so great. You know, she brings all her friends. They're like, oh, I don't know what this movie is. It and was then you had a people, blast. you had people coming out during the movie just to catch their breath. They're like, I don't know. Truly, like, like I mean, multiple people and just I mean, like, this like losing my friend, their but, minds oh, in oh, there. Man, I gotta go outside and have a smoke break. This movie's horrifying. <laughs> Get Bonus Time, a weekly uncensored and commercial-free podcast every Tuesday, starting for just $5 on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Is the world of today getting you down? Well, then why not check in on some of the good stuff that happened this week in movies, TV, games, and more 30, 20, and 10 years ago this very week with our show, 30, 20, 10. Here's a clip from 1998. A little bit of news to kick off 1998. Uh, the, oh, the AFI releases its top 100 films list. My word. I remember when this happened. I think they did like a special, right? And I, yes. I watched it and I bought the magazine that went with it. I was. It was uh, my, around my 61st birthday. <laughs> and this was like my summer. It's like every time I meet anyone else who's into movies, we gotta start arguing about this shit and what shouldn't be on there and what should be higher. And blah, 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 blah. we're terrible. All right. So the top 10. Uh, from 1998 from the American Film Institute Citizen Kane number one the Red Casablanca Red. Godfather Red. Gone with the Wind Red Lawrence of Arabia Red Wizard of Oz Red The Graduate Throw it away One of my big arguments on this one though just in the top ten Lawrence of Arabia is only in there because it was made by American Money but it's also on the British Film Institute's list and I think that's where it belongs Oh Is that why Never Ending Story is in the top ten? German financing? Yes, that's the only reason <laughs> <laughs> Jump into the past with 302010 every Thursday on lasertimepodcast.com or iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Five, four, three, two, one. As promised, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Laser Time presents. Our chat with uh, the creator of one of mine, maybe the whole room's favorite character oh, of all yes. time, oh, yeah. the creator of Roger Rabbit, Mr. Gary K. Wolf. Hi, Gary. Hey, how hey. you doing? How you doing, guys? Nice to be here. <laughs> How's it going? How you feeling coming up on the 30th anniversary of Ro- the Roger Rabbit movie? Oh, you know, I, I am overwhelmed by this. Um, I mean, when, when I wrote that book in 19... 19- Actually, the book just came up on the 37th anniversary. Right. Uh, and when I wrote that book 37 years ago, uh, I thought that it was going to be, you know, an interesting, an interesting book that would probably develop a, you know, a cult fan base. But I never expected that it would it would give rise to uh, give rise to a character that is kind of the defining character of an era. Uh, actually, two Roger and Jessica Rabbit are kind of the defining characters of an era. Yeah, I, I can't and, imagine you wrote those books thinking these two characters will last forever in Disney parks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. You know, I never expected that they would make a movie of it. I don't know if you've read the book. I mean, so that's, that's I think the, I, the thing. It was the, the movie was immediately my favorite movie as an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I went mm-hmm. and read your book. And as a little kid, I didn't really – this is not the same. This is different. But as I've grown older, I had to realize your book and the movie are basically my first – detective story mm-hmm. and, yeah. and and yeah. reading reading your reading who censored roger rabbit as like this kind of amazing detective story that somehow managed you deserve the credit for coming up with this world where cartoons and human beings coexist Absolutely. and this i don't know it's just it's, you came up with that it's so cool <laughs> I, I will i will take credit for that uh it's probably the the one 
<laughs> defining moment of my of my life, possibly. I think that when I die, they will put on my tombstone. You know, he uh, created Roger Rabbit, and that will be enough. You know, uh, when I was I was writing science fiction, and I still write science fiction, mm-hmm. but uh, I had contracts with Doubleday, and my my contract with Doubleday called for me to write a book, turn in that book, and then the contract automatically. Uh, specified another book. And I did my first three books that way. I, w- I would write the book, send it to Doubleday, they would publish it and, and issue a contract for another book. I, I never got a reject because I had, a, I had this contract going with Doubleday. Uh, so for the fourth novel that I was writing, I wanted to push the envelope. I wanted to do something that nobody had ever done before. And uh, I wanted the book to incorporate the two real loves of my childhood and my life. I, I grew up watching cartoons and reading comic strips and uh, at an earlier age that I care to admit, I started sneaking uh, my dad's, at the time what they called them true crime magazines. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. To, to today, I guess you would call them uh, the National Enquirer because they publish, <laughs> you know, real photos of real <laughs> dead people. Wow. And, uh, there were tons of those, and my, fa- my father read them, and I used to sneak them. And uh, from there, I started reading Mickey Spillane, Mike Hammer, Dashiell Hammett, you know, all the all the good. So my, my two loves growing up were comics, cartoons, which I, I see as two sides of the same coin, and noir mysteries. You know, I watched the Casablanca, and I mean, uh, the Maltese Falcon, and um, I, I, I grew to love noir mysteries. So I wanted to find a way to combine those two things. And that ain't as easy as it sounds, you know. Yeah. So. I, you know, I thought about it for a long time. I did a lot of research on it. The, the, the kind of light went off one Saturday morning when I was sitting there watching Saturday morning cartoons, you know, for research. I told my wife, just for research, <laughs> I'm watching Saturday morning cartoons. And I, I became fascinated with one aspect of those Saturday morning cartoons. And it wasn't the cartoons. It was the commercials. Because all of a sudden I realized that they had cartoon characters, Tony the Tiger, Snap, Crackle, and Pop, yeah. uh, the Tricks Rabbit, Captain Crunch. These were cartoon characters talking to real kids, and nobody seemed to think that was odd. <laughs> and then I, I said to myself, you know, wow, that's a great idea. What if I created a world where cartoon characters were real? What what kind of a world would that be? So from that point on, I started doing exactly that. I started fabricating a world, which eventually became Toontown. And I wanted to make sure that I set up my rules of the world. Uh, you know, the rules of the world were the rules of the world. And you can't violate the rules of that world or your reader or, you know, as later became the case, your, your movie viewers uh, will instantly... Uh, lose their belief and and you know you'll, you'll lose their trust and and the, they'll they'll leave the book or they'll walk out of the movie. So everything within the book had to be consistent to the rules that I set up for for Toontown. And of course, being the the great grand 
uh, omnipotent poobah of Toontown, the rules were all mine. I could make them <laughs> what they wanted to be, but I wanted to make them consistent with what cartoons and comic strips did that really didn't happen in, in the real world. So um, the, the first thing I wanted to do was I, I wanted to have them be comic strip characters so I could have them talk in word balloons. Yeah. <laughs> and in, you know, in the book, uh, the, their comic strip characters, Roger, Jessica, they can talk if they want to, but they it's easier for them and simpler for them to talk in word balloons because that's what they do. And they, they're they then photographed for comic strips with the word balloons. And uh, I, I started playing with the word balloons. Like um, you could put up a word balloon, and if the character then turned around, you had to learn to read his words in reverse because you know everything was backwards, <laughs> or you had to go around to the other side of him. And if a cartoon character shot somebody with a toon gun, which did in fact happen, you could then pick up what they call the bang balloon, and which became rigid and solidified, and you could tell the caliber of the gun, and then when you found the gun, you could match that bang balloon to the bang balloon you had. And that's that's like, awesome. You know, you found the gun. Uh, and that's the other thing was, yeah. when somebody um, when somebody played the piano, the, the notes came out in strings, and you cut those strings of notes in the 8 by 12 sheets, <coughs> and that's where sheet music comes from. So, you know, the other thing I had to think about was uh, just the whole aura of Toontown and what goes on in Toontown. Now, you know, do they have bars in Toontown? Uh, and and if they have bars, uh, are they tune bars? And if, if a tune goes into a tune bar, what does he drink? Well, he drinks, you know, tune tonic. And what happens to him when he <laughs> drinks tune tonic? Well, you know, you saw that in the movie. Uh, if a tune goes into a human bar, what does he drink? Well, you know, and, and uh, can a human go into a tune bar and drink tune tonic? It just went on and on and on. I had a lot of fun with how did, it. How did you and, describe that? In the, I just read that passage that like Roger drinks from a jug that has three X's on it. And it's, yeah. But then you describe there's a moonshine distillery that, that happens within Toontown. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and uh, you know, I had to think about, well, I didn't have to think about all that stuff, but the more you think about it, the more fun it is. And it's one of those projects that, um, if I, if I hadn't had a deadline, uh, you know, self-imposed deadline, I probably would still be writing the book because it was just so much fun to write. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I had this book and then, uh, I came up with Eddie Valiant, uh, everybody's prototypical private eye. I named him Eddie after my father and my favorite uncle, both of whom were named Eddie. I named Roger after my cousin. <laughs> and um, I finished – well, I, I, you know, I came up with this prototypical private eye, and I came up with a, a mystery that worked only in Toontown. It wouldn't work anywhere else. Yeah. And I wrote the book. It took me about a year, and I sent it to Doubleday. And, of course, I had a contract. You know, I had a contract. And I said, hey, here's the – Here's the book fulfilling my my contract and, you know, give me a contract for another book. Well, first time in my career, I got a reject. I never had a reject in my career, not on a short story, not on a novel, not on anything. They rejected Roger Rabbit. And so I called my editor and I said, you know, why did you reject this? I mean, this is clearly the best thing that I've ever done in my life. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and she she said, "Oh, I agree." She said, "By far, yeah, you're a hack writer, and this is really not not bad." Uh, she said, uh, "You know, I, I I agree." She said, "It's funny, it's interesting. I've never seen anything like it before." But she said, "That's the problem. It's so unusual, so different from anything that you've ever written or that anybody has ever written that I had to send it over to the marketing department and get there okay." And the marketing department were the ones who rejected it. 
So mm. I called the head of the marketing department. Um, you know, this was a double day. And I said, hey, you know, guys, uh, why did you reject this? And Charlie, who was the head of the, head of the marketing department, said, well, he said, I, I got to tell you, he said, I thought it was hilarious. It was just a great book. But uh, there's no category for this on the bookstore shelves. It's mm. not a regular mystery. It's not an adult you know, a regular straight adult novel. It's not a kid's book. It's not science fiction. It's not really fantasy. So there's no category for this on the bookstore shelves. I can't sell this. I cannot sell this book. Wow. And I said, all right, let me ask you a question. I said, what would you do if you got Gulliver's Travels or Alice in Wonderland yeah. or The <laughs> Wizard of Oz? What would you do if somebody gave you those? And he thought for a minute and said, I couldn't sell those either. Oh my so, god! I said, oh my god! So I, I went to my agent, who you know had been negotiating all these contracts for me, and I, I told Billy, you know, this is what I want to do, and you know, if if nobody will buy this and nobody will publish it, I just don't want to be a writer anymore. So no, no, he said, we'll we'll, we'll find somebody else and it's other publishers. So he started sending it out to other publishers, and actually to. Uh, sometimes multiple editors at the same publisher. And along the way, it got 110 rejects. What? It was rejected 110 what? times. That's insane. Yeah. Uh. Um, and always for the same reason. I mean, the editors loved it. And the, um, the marketing department said, can't sell this. So uh, finally, the 111th submission went to St. Martin's Press and a, uh, a young woman who had just published a major bestseller for them um, got it on her desk. And, she, and as, as a reward for having published a major bestseller, the head of St. Martin's Press gave her, her name was Rebecca, Rebecca Martin, actually, no, no relation to St. Martin. But <laughs> uh, Rebecca, he gave Rebecca a vanity project. He said, all right, for your next book, you can publish anything you want. Whatever you want, we'll publish it because she had published a big bestseller. So she got Roger Rabbit and she said, this is it. So she went to the president of St. Martin's and said, this is the book I want to publish. So he said, well, okay, you know, let me read it. So she gave it to him and he read it. <laughs> the next day he called her into his office and he said, Rebecca, he said, I told you you could publish any." Any book you wanted, but you can't publish this because, <laughs> oh I, my because I can't sell it. I, and, and Rebecca stood up to the plate and said, either publish it or I quit. And, and that's that's if I could encapsulate the story of my life, that would be it. I mean, people have really come to bat for me and my ideas and my my vision and my projects and so the guy said, okay, I'll publish it. And he did, albeit in very small quantities, I think less than 5,000 copies, which is next to nothing. Uh, and if you go on eBay today, uh, you will see that those first edition copies at St. Martin's are now going for around 400 bucks a piece. Right. And it, if I had just bought them all at the time for two ninety five, you know, I'd be living I'd be living in a villa in Portugal somewhere. But so they published it and I am on the cover of that one if you notice I uh, what? I yeah oh, right. if you've yeah. got it take a look. If you don't, you should run over to Amazon and buy uh, buy one of the paperbacks. But I am on the cover and um oh, yeah. that, that that is supposed to be the author's photo, but 
it came out so well that uh, <laughs> the St. Martin's Art Department <laughs> said, oh, let's use this for the cover photo. And that's actually a black and white photo, which they hand tinted. Uh, I had that rabbit specially made by a company called Kamar, which... The rabbit's real, too? Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it, it depends. Uh, reality is a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well played, sir. <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I had a rabbit made and took the picture, and they loved it. They had to, that it used it on the cover. So that's become kind of a tradition. I'm, I'm on the back cover of the second one and the front cover of the third. But... Um, the, you know, the book, the book did go into the bookstores uh, before the bo- book went into the bookstore, before it was ever published. They bought it in 1980 and published it in 1981. And it, it, had, it had just been purchased uh, by St. Martin's. Uh, I get this call at home on my home number and, and I pick it up and the guy says, is this Gary Wolf? And I said, yes, it is. He says, this is Roy Disney. I said, wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> who, who is this really? You know, he says, no, no, no. He says, I, I just read your book, which I thought was odd because it hadn't come out yet. Uh, it wouldn't be out for another year. Uh, and he said, I, and I'm just wondering if you would be interested in having Disney make a movie of this. And of course, I, I'm thinking this is this is one of my friends having me off here. Right? <laughs> this is, uh, and it turned out that. Uh, someone in St. Martin's, I never found out who, although I tried uh, because I wanted to kiss him or her full on the lips. Uh, but someone in St. Martin's had sent a copy of the manuscript to Disney wow. thinking they might be interested in this. And it worked its way up the chain to Roy Disney and Roy Disney said, yeah. And, and you know, Disney needed a movie like this. Disney at that time, this was 1980. Disney was, in danger of becoming a second-rate movie studio. Uh, They were making making double features. Uh, They were making movies for double features, and double features no longer existed. I mean, people Mm -hmm. weren't playing double features anymore. They they were making movies like The Nutty Professor and um, The the Black Hole and The Black Cauldron, which disappeared down the black hole. (laughs) And um, they needed... A, a major, major hit, something really spectacular to reestablish themselves as real players in the industry. They'd been offered Star Wars and they turned it down. Now they, oh, they've, they, they've turned that around. But, <laughs> you know, back in, back in 1980, they had been offered Star Wars and turned it down. Uh, they were offered Jaws and they turned it down. And they were offered E.T. and they turned it down. So Roy Disney and all the people at Disney saw this as a movie they could use to reestablish your credibility. Gary, was the thought immediately that they could essentially do what they did? They could make a Toontown version where their characters got to live in a little more adult world? No, I'll tell you what happened. So, you know, the, the other reason why they wanted this, Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, the, the stable of Disney characters had been around for a long time. Yeah. They And Mickey had become kind of the corporate spokesmouse, and you couldn't really have fun with him anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, he was now wearing a tuxedo and tennis shoes. Right, through the whole I mean, 80s. You, know, you, could, you, you could have fun with Donald, yeah. uh, but uh, you, you couldn't understand what he said, so, you know, what kind of fun can you have with that? Uh, they wanted the characters. They wanted Roger. Uh, they wanted Baby Herman. They wanted characters that they could merchandise because Disney even then was making a lot of money on t-shirts and mm-hmm. sweatshirts and jackets and umbrellas and lunch boxes. And they wanted the characters. So to be honest with you, 
you know, cards on the table, to be honest with you. I wrote Who Censored Roger Rabbit to be the best book that I could possibly write. I mean, I, I and I, I think it was. I think it probably was the best book I've ever written. And I really did not see how they could make it into a movie. <laughs> I, I did not see how they could do that. I, you know, I wasn't a movie guy. I was a, an author. I didn't see how they could make it into a movie. But they gave me more money than I'd made for everything I'd ever written put together. So I said, hey, guys, you know, have at it. Yeah, good to go. So uh, because it was my – oh, I'll tell you one other thing. So when I sold him the book, you know, my agent uh, my agent got me a pretty good pretty good contract. He, uh, uh, you know, he got me, you know, royalty income on all the, all the merchandise and all that kind of stuff. But uh, he sent the contract over to a – you know, just a young attorney in his office, a young woman who had just started working there. And all he wanted her to do was check the punctuation. And um, uh, she came back and said, you know, I read this contract. I, I did check the punctuation, but I also read it. And, you know, yeah, he's getting he's getting a lot of money for this, but it's probably never going to be a movie because most of them aren't. So uh, I think that instead of selling out the characters totally that we just sell the rights to this book and that he gets to keep the rights to the characters so that he can write more books if he wants to. And my agent said, Oh, Disney will never go for that. That they want to buy it all. They want to own it. And she said, well, I think you owe it to him to try. So he put a paragraph, which she wrote into the contract and sent it to Disney and Roy Disney loved writers. said, I sure. Why not? (laughs) And signed the contract. So, that's how I get away with writing, you know, a Roger Rabbit novel every, you know, five or 10 years uh, because I still have those rights. Does Disney have to approve further books that you write? No. Wow. No. Now, uh, I, I'm, I'm a realist. You know, I'm a realist. I am not going to write a pornographic novel. With Roger <laughs> I'm just not going to do that. You're not art because <laughs> it's not art. Well, it could be art. But uh, I'm not going to do that because, uh, I mean, these characters have a place in popular culture. And I am not going to be the one that, you know, sends thousands of of young children, uh, you know, into turmoil because I've I've sullied uh, their favorite character. I'm just not going to do that. So, you know, everything that I do is pretty consistent with what I did before. Uh, with the original novel or uh, after the movie came out, because I think at last accounting, maybe a billion people, realistically, that's not, that's not an exaggeration, a billion people at least have seen the movie. And uh, I think the book sold like 50 copies and, and 40, <laughs> 40 of those went to my mother and the other 10 went to my aunts. So, you know, people's, people's, concept of Roger and Jessica is the Disney movie, not my book. And Which is a little, okay. has a harder, they have harder edge to them. The book has a harder edge to them. Yeah. So when it came time to write the sequel, I had a little bit of a, a little bit of a problem, you know, should I write the sequel the way I wrote the first book, uh, which nobody had ever read, or should I incorporate at least aspects of the Disney movie, which everybody knew about. And I kind of do it, did a hybrid and I think it was pretty successful. Yeah. I mean, they still talk with word balloons, which I still have a lot of fun with, although they now have the ability to talk 
uh, uh, verbally. And um, I soften the edges of the character, although I didn't really sell them out. They're still pretty hard-edged even in the second book, and uh, especially so in the third book, which I think the third book I think is is easily the equivalent is easily the equal of the first book. It's just, it's really good. The story's good, the writing's great, uh, everything about it. But anyway, so Roy Disney said, "Hey, uh, we're going to make this into a movie." So the, the, you know, I was I was excited about that. But movie making's a roller coaster, and uh, you know, the first thing that happened was they tried to get other studios characters to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. And so Roy Disney goes to Warner brothers and says, Hey, Hey, you know, uh, we're making a movie with animated characters and live action. And all of our characters are going to be in it. We would like to have Bugs Bunny do a cameo. And he's just going to come on screen. He's going to say, <laughs> what's up doc. And that's it. What do you think? And Warner brothers said to Roy Disney, Hey, no way is Bugs Bunny ever going to appear in a Walt Disney movie. Forget it. <laughs> now, just to show you what a difference Steve Spielberg makes in Hollywood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Five years later, when Steve Spielberg went to Warner Brothers and made the identical request, they were making this movie, live action animation, and we'd like to have Bugs Bunny do a cameo. Warner Brothers said, of course. Of course. <laughs> Take them what all. About, uh-huh. What about Porky Pig? What about Porky Pig? What about, what about Yosemite Sam? I mean, don't you want, uh, don't you want the Roadrunner or Wile E. Coyote and, how about Tweety Bird and Sylvester? You got to take them all, take them all. And, you know, being stars of a certain magnitude, all of these characters, all of these characters had contracts. And I mean, <laughs> the amount of money that they had to pay for the majority of these characters with the exception of Bugs was just chump change. I mean, I could have, could have paid that from the money I made on my, my wow. paper delivery route. It was, <laughs> it was nothing, but Bugs Bunny, had a special contract. You know, he was a superstar. And so in Bugs Bunny's contract, Bugs Bunny has to be on screen contractually every time Mickey Mouse is on screen as co-equal superstars. You cannot have Mickey on screen without having Bugs on screen. So take a look and you will not see any scenes where Mickey is there alone. And they have to have the same identical number of words of dialogue. So you can go through and count them and you will see that Mickey and Bugs speak exactly the same number of words of dialogue. So, uh, but anyway, back in 1980, that wasn't going to happen. So, because the movie they, the movie took several years to like actually come to fruition, right? They they started making it in 1980, and it finally came out wow. in 1988. Wow! So it took eight took eight years, and from 1980 until 1985, they they threw a lot of different producers at it. Uh, Roy Disney was involved and you know that was kind of the low point for me because at one point they came to me and said you know we're not having any luck getting this made as a live action animated movie they said what you know what would you think if we did this instead of as an animated movie instead of that instead we could have the the animated characters be in costume like they are at Disneyland. Yikes. <laughs> and I'm, yeah. I'm thinking, well, you, you know, my, my first my first thought was, oh, my God, I'm going to get Fred McMurray as Eddie Valiant. Wow. I'm going to get Haley Mills as Jessica. And oh Dean, 
Yeah, you know, Dean Jones is the rabbit. Uh, and Kurt Russell as Baby Herman. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Russell as Baby Herman. Perfect. I never thought of that. So uh, it would have been perfect, too. So um, I, I said to them, you know, doesn't that compromise the, the, the concept just a little? Yes. And they said, well, yeah, I guess. So, they, you know, cooler has prevailed, and they kept going on. But nothing, nothing really was happening. It looked to me like nothing was ever going to get done. Uh, but then in 19... 85, a couple of things happened. You know, Roy Disney got forced out and Michael Eisner took his place. And Michael brought with him Jeff Katzenberg. You know, Steve Spielberg gets a lot of credit for the movie, deservedly so. I mean, he had read the book when it came out and always thought it would be a great movie. Uh, Bob Zemeckis directed, mm -hmm. uh, and you, you know, probably Spielberg's greatest contribution to the movie was picking Bob Zemeckis to direct. Again, Roy Disney had gone to Bob Zemeckis back in 1980-81 and said, hey, how about directing this movie we got going on? And he read the book and loved the book and even loved the, the screenplay they did back then, but uh, really didn't think that Disney had the horsepower to pull this off. So he passed and went on to direct other you know, little-known movies like Back to the Future <laughs> and Forrest Gump. And Does it matter to you at all that like this is the movie Robert Zemeckis made in between Back to the Future? So. Yeah. The Back to the Future 2 is all about like sharing timelines. There are lines from Back to the Future 1 and 2 in Roger Rabbit. Like they have yeah, carryover. Sure. You're technically yeah, sure. part of the Back to the Future universe too. <laughs> I know. If you, uh, if you look at Back to the Future 2, is it 2 or 1? I think it's 2. It's two, 2. The 2 was made after Roger Rabbit, right? Yep. Yeah. 2 was made after Roger Rabbit. If you look at that in freeze frame, when Marty McFly is going by one of the general stores, you'll oh, see yeah. a Roger Rabbit down the window. Yep. Mm -hmm. you Charles yeah. Fleischer is there doing his full-on Benny the Cab voice. Sure. Put your money on the copies. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, you, you know, Roy Disney was out. Uh, Michael Eisner came in, brought Bob's. I bought uh, um, Jeff Katzenberg with him. And I always give Jeff Katzenberg a lot more credit for this movie than uh, you know, he, he's kind of in the background, but by God, he had come out with his famous Katzenberg memo saying that, uh, you know, I'm not going to go for the home runs. I'm going to go for the consistent singles and doubles, and I'm never going to make a movie that costs more than $14 million. Uh, <laughs> in the first production meeting, the, the producers told Katzenberg, you know, hey, this movie is going to be budgeted. It's going to come in around $30 million. And we're guessing in 35 is probably closer. And he, he did not bat an eye, even though he had publicly said, I'm not going to do a movie that costs more than $14 million. He said, just make sure it's good. And <laughs> as the production budget kept going up and up and up to 50, 60, 70, finally 75 million, he kept saying, yeah, good, just make sure it's good. And it is good. And it was good. So I, I give him a lot of credit. Uh, Steve Spielberg. You know, you can't underestimate his influence. He just makes things happen. Bob Zemeckis had the vision. And, um, you know, he uh, he was the one who had worked with Kathleen Turner in Romancing the Stone and brought her in as the voice of Jessica, which was just, you know, just brilliant. You know, Charlie Fleischer, I, I'm not sure who, but somebody heard him in a comedy club where he was doing funny voices. And one of the funny voices he was doing was Donald Duck having an orgasm. And for some <laughs> reason, they thought that would be perfect for Roger Rabbit. Not that voice, but 
just Charlie and uh, Dick Williams. Dick Williams had animated uh, the Pink Panther and you know won a, cu- a couple of Academy Awards. He he was uh, he was kind of the last choice, all, not not the last choice, but he was not the first choice. I believe it was perfect choice. Uh, you know, the first choice was um, ah, it's a mental block. The guy who did Bugs Bunny, uh, Dick uh, Chuck, uh, Jones? Chuck Jones. Yeah, everybody wow. wanted Chuck Jones, mm-hmm. but in one of the rare instances of Hollywood having a heart, he was he was elderly at the time, mm-hmm. and this, this was going to be a really intense project, and they worried that the workload might actually kill him. <laughs> very rarely happens in Hollywood, you know, it's all oh, work them to death and then we'll get somebody else. So uh, then they wanted Ralph Bakshi and uh, I kind of wondered what he would have done with Jessica, that, but oh God. Uh, <laughs> Can only imagine. Yeah, but certain higher higher level powers at Disney thought he was too much of a goon, so they finally uh, settled on Dick Williams. And and Dick Williams was just an inspired choice. He was, he was, he he knew the sensibility that we were after. And uh, if you look at some of his early work, he did. uh, He developed a cat with nine lives that he used to advertise a. I think it was an English beer. and if you look at some of those commercials, you'll see snippets of some stuff that he later used in Roger Rabbit um, oh, when okay. he animated Toontown. And uh, Dick pretty much animated that whole opening sequence himself with the, you, you know, with the uh, the kitchen and the tile <laughs> floors. And the the reason why those tile floors are checkered is uh, just because it makes it a thousand times more difficult to animate. <laughs> and, and that was the reason why it was a tour de force of hand-drawn animation. They, they just wanted to say, hey, you know, this is what we can do. Take that. When Bob Zemeckis oh. went, to, went to Dick Williams and, you know, uh, Dick Williams said to Bob Zemeckis, you know, how, how do you want to animate this? Because in Mary Poppins. I mean, they have dancing penguins in Mary Poppins, <laughs> which are the penguin waiters in Roger Rabbit. Uh, you know, they have the, the, the penguins in Mary Poppins. And in Mary Poppins, the camera's locked down. Yeah. Everybody dances in front of the camera. And the perspective doesn't change. And Zemeckis wanted to make this like a real movie. And so he went to Dick Williams and said, I want to I want to make this like a real movie. And Dick Williams said, go ahead. Do what you have to do. And so Every single cell is a different perspective because yeah. the camera's moving, and it just makes it so so much more difficult uh, to do. But the animators were up to it, and uh, you know, produced a produced and an that, animation masterpiece. I think that's 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 why it it holds up really really well. Everybody knows showing it to their kids, just like it hits them. It's, it hits them as the same special effects showcase that it hit me with thirty years ago. Yeah. So, are you guys familiar with gags and emergence? Yeah, dude. I, I that's that's part of the reason I got in touch with you. I love that you you're posting those. <laughs> well, yeah. I figure somebody else might as well uh, get some enjoyment out of them. If you but, don't, uh, if you don't mind, just, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna pull just, shots of those for our website, um, so people can see sure, what you're talking about. Sure, absolutely. And I will explain what those are. Go for uh, it. Animation is a very tedious, time-consuming, and ultimately boring process. I mean. Uh, animators will sit there at their desks alone for hours on end drawing 
you know, their, their characters. And uh, so to amuse themselves, animators way back in the early days, back with Gertie the Dinosaur and, and Alley Oop, discovered that, you know, film goes through a camera at 24 frames a second. They discovered that they could screw around with six of those frames. So six twenty-fourths <laughs> of a second. You know, you need one one drawing per frame. So one drawing is, is a cell. So, you know, 24 cells per second. Six of those cells that they could screw around with them and put in little visual gags. And nobody could see because it would pass too, too quickly. The only people that used to be able to see them were the projectionists <laughs> in the movie theaters. So they would go through the cartoons and look and find them and generally snip out one. So by the time it got to the fifth guy, he got the last one and then there were no more. So the guys at Roger Rabbit said, hey, you know, can we can we do some of these? And so the first one that they did uh, was the Betty Boop sequence. And in every Max Fleischer cartoon ever made, when Betty Boop says, hey, I still got an eat I eat boop boop a doop the front of her dress falls down. And, you know, and she just pick, picks it up and puts it back. You know, six frames, six twenty-fourths of a second, every Betty Boop cartoon. So the animator said, hey, you know, let's do that. So they did it. But, of course, that was way beyond their purview. And they weren't going to, you know, they weren't going to just put that in the movie. So they showed it to Steve Spielberg and they said, hey, you know, what do you think? And Steve thought it was hilarious. So they said, can we leave it in? He said, yeah, leave it in. Wow. And they said, can we do more? And he said, yeah, you can do more, but nothing R-rated, PG-13 only. Because well. there are R-rated scenes like that in other people's animated movies. I won't, I won't name names, but you know, nothing in Roger Rabbit could be more than PG-13. Uh, even though nobody was ever going to see it, so they, they, there's there are a ton of them in there. Um, the, you know, when when Eddie goes into the uh, to the restroom and the, uh, in Toontown, and the, there's no floor. If you freeze frame at that, you'll look up on the on the wall and you'll see for a good time called Snow White yeah. written on the wall. Yeah. Yep. And originally that had Michael Eisner's home phone number. They, <laughs> they, they, they took that out. Oh. And um, so, it, you know, in later years, uh, Stephen, who was the producer of this movie, uh, always vowed with E.T. that he was never going to release that movie on, uh, in those days, cassette. Mm -hmm. He was going to re-release it in theaters every seven years. Well, you know, he began to see the economics, so he released E.T. on cassette, made a ton of money, and he he was not going to release Roger on cassette either. But after E.T. came out and made a ton of money, you know, he had just he decided, yeah, we'll put it on, on on cassette. So they put it out on cassette. They were getting ready to release it when Frank Marshall, who was the producer, went on The Tonight Show and told the Betty Boop story. All of a sudden, Disney realizes, oh, my God, we've got a topless woman in, in a PG-30, no, she's a topless cartoon character. So they went back and they trashed all those cassettes and uh, took that scene out, removed it. Yeah, I thought the, I thought the uh, rumor was that like with every home release, they find something new and naughty to remove <laughs> from Roger Rabbit. Well, I think they pretty well got it now because when it finally came out on uh, not so much video cassette, but when it came Wait, out on DVD, oh. people went through it frame by frame like a video game. Well, did you hear? And, did you hear what happened in France? Well, no. In France, someone in France got a copy of some, like the original uncut version of the film, and remastered it in HD, and it aired once, and it had all that stuff left in, oh. and they took oh. it. They stopped airing it, but of course, some maniac got it off the internet, 
sunk it up with every single soundtrack. So I, I, some of them are on the website. Yeah, I went and grabbed some of these because uh, I have never seen those, and I've slowed down yeah, the DVD as much as a human being could, and still be respected <laughs> on a podcast. Uh, but but uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with stuff like that. And you've been posting well, uh, on your Facebook so the in the margin jokes for the shorts, and the shorts are wonderful. Shorts are wonderful. The shorts are really, really funny. Um, you know, I'm I'm glad they finally decided to do shorts because the. Uh, uh, especially Roller Coaster Rabbit, I think holds up it holds up to any of the cartoons done during the Golden Age. It holds up to any of the right. Warner Brothers stuff. Holds up to anything Tex Avery ever did. Is, is that is that the last polar, one? Uh, roller Coaster. It was Tummy Trouble, Roller Coaster, okay. and then uh, Trail, Trail Mix Up. So it was mm-hmm. just the middle, and it was directed by Rob Minkoff, who you know went on to do uh, uh, other bigger and better things. Well, not bigger and better, but uh, went on to do. The big things like uh, Stuart Little and you know a lot of stuff. But how uh, surreal was that for you that like you make this character to be representative of these old cartoon stars, but then in the '90s ends up becoming the only old cartoon star? Uh, I'm overwhelmed by it, and you know I I can't tell you how pleased I am that something that I that I created while I was. Well, I was working from, I get up at four in the morning and sit there at my, my kitchen table doing this book before I went to my regular job. Uh, I can't tell you how pleased I am. It's something that came out of my imagination that I worked so hard on it, had so much fun doing. Uh, it's now like a cultural touchstone. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I have created something that will become, you know, one of the old style cartoons. I mean, Roger and Jesse, I, my, my my best creation, oddly enough, is is Baby Herman, <laughs> which I based after a number, based on a number of kind of grown up baby characters of the forties <laughs> and fifties. And even my agent, when I when I wrote, sent him that manuscript, that he read it, he said, "Oh, you can't use this. This is somebody else's character." I said, "No, I no, I made him up. Really, I did." He said, "No, oh, no, I'm sure that I." I'm sure that I've seen Baby Herman and something else. And, oh, yeah, you, know, you haven't. So, you know, I'm happy about it. And, uh, you know, the movie, uh, they started actually seriously working on it in 85, and it took them three years. So 88 uh, came out 30 years ago, actually two weeks, yep. um, 30 years ago. And um, they, had the, uh, um, they had the premiere in New York City at the uh, – where did the Rockettes perform? Um, Radio City. Uh, Radio City. Yeah, they had, they had the premiere at Radio City Music Hall. And uh, just so that I wouldn't have to go back to the West Coast. <laughs> I, I think, I hope, I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> I was there. And uh, they were working on this movie right up until the premiere. And, uh, you know, they actually didn't know if it was going to be a... Walt Disney Pictures movie or a Ooh. Touchstone Pictures movie. They desperately wanted it to be a Walt Disney Pictures movie, and Walt Disney had never released anything but uh, but uh, G-rated movies. And right. this was, you know, the Spielberg rating PG. I think it's PG thirteen. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. And so it came out as a Touchstone movie. But they had made they had made both both uh, leaders. You know, a Touchstone movie and a Walt Disney movie. But I had never seen it. I had never seen the whole thing finished, and I had never seen the the credits, especially. Uh, so I was sitting there in the balcony. Uh, you know, I was going to see my movie for the first time all the way through with my credit up on screen. And uh, 
I, on one side of me, I was in the VIP section, and on one side of me, I had Amy Irving, who was Stephen's wife at the time, who was the singing voice of Jessica Rabbit, because uh, Kathleen was pregnant at the time when she did the sound work, and whether she couldn't sing because she didn't have the vocal control, or whether um, she really can't sing, I don't know, but uh, she really couldn't sing, and uh, so Stephen said to Amy, you know, hey, you sang in Young Soul, why don't you give it a whack? And, you know, Amy Irving sang the song and, and did well at it. And I, I, I was thinking, you know, nobody's going to believe that Jessica has one voice when she sings and another voice when she speaks. But everybody assured me, uh, you know, there's such, a, there's such a time gap between when she sings and huh. when she speaks that nobody will notice. And nobody ever did. Um, Kathleen did the movie without film credit. Yeah. Because at the time, nobody really knew if this was going to be any good. Nobody really knew if this was going to be a, you know, good movie or Howard the Duck. So, <laughs> uh, so Kathleen did the James Earl Jones thing. He did Darth Vader without credit. If if Star Wars had had flopped, he would have disavowed any knowledge. And you know, if it was a big hit, he would have been the mystery man who did the voice of Darth Vader. So Kathleen did the same thing. So she is not credited on the movie, but. Yeah. Amy Irving is, the singing voice of Jessica Rabbit. But anyway, I was sitting with Amy Irving on one side of me and Kathleen Turner on the other side of me. And <laughs> I'm getting ready to watch my movie for the sandwich. first time all the way through and see my credit on screen for the first time in my whole life. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, life just doesn't get any better than this. <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden, life got better because Kathleen leaned over and put her hand on my leg and said, Gary, are you excited? <laughs> wow I Jessica said, Rabbit herself I said, yes, I, and I said Kathleen you have no idea <laughs> so you know the movie came out uh, 30 years ago and uh, was the highest grossing movie of the year um, won uh, I think seven Academy Awards um, yeah for visual the, the fe- yeah, visual for, effects. for visuals my, my only and people always ask me this they always say well were you happy with the movie well yeah I mean I was uh, I was part of making that movie and uh, you know there were times when I was sitting in a room with like 30 of the most creative people I've ever met in my life and they're all throwing out ideas on how to make my story better and funnier and i'm thinking where were you guys when i was at my kitchen table <laughs> you know i could have won the pulitzer prize if you guys had been there then so uh, i you know I, I have no problem with the fact that, that the stories change that the characters are a little softer edged because the book is a book and the movie's a movie yeah and yeah. uh you know they they originally way back when they they tried to do the movie with the word balloons and, um, really? you know, that, that, that obviously didn't work. It, it became a silent movie, you know, word mm-hmm. balloon would go up. You'd have to read the word balloon and, you know, go on. it obviously didn't work. But when they were making the movie, finally, they said, you know, they wanted to put in an homage to me. And so they had, um, crazy cat. I think it was crazy cat or Felix the cat. One of the two didn't talk. Mm. Uh, I think it was. I think it was Felix the cat who never, never talked. And uh, he was watching Marvin Acme's coffin go by in the, uh, in the burial scene. And um, as the coffin goes by, I think it was, it was crazy cat. 
was Crazy Cat puts up this word balloon that says sob. And it then turns to tears wow. and wets his shoulders. And that was their homage to me and my book. Well, that whole scene got cut. I, so, I was just know. telling Kevin and Cass about that yeah. scene because that's the one that had Popeye and Bluto in it that never made the movie. Yeah, and that was part of the reason. Uh, they, you know, Stephen, Stephen was a real miracle worker um, when it came to getting characters. I mean, he got Warner Brothers characters. He got uh, uh, Droopy. He got all these characters. But for some reason, the people who, who owned Popeye and Felix the Cat wanted an astronomical amount of money <laughs> for those characters. And Stephen says it's not worth it. So Popeye was in that scene, but you know, the scene got cut and Popeye would have gotten cut too. They only, uh, the only remnant of it is when Eddie Valiant goes into Toontown. If you look at the lintel up over the Toontown tunnel, you will see Felix the cat. Yes. Up there. Oh. Yeah. And that's, that's technically, I think, a trademark violation. Uh, <laughs> hey, don't don't sue me. Uh, I'll give wow. you Stephen's number. You can call him. If I'm okay? not, well, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's literally a DreamWorks problem. So you might be okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so anyway, um, you know, based on uh, based on Roger Rabbit, um, I did the Roger Rabbit uh, Roger Rabbit movie. I did the Roger Rabbit sequel book, which is who plugged oh, Roger Rabbit. Uh, Disney bought the rights to that, uh, whether that's ever going to be a movie or not, who knows. And just recently I did the third Roger Rabbit novel, which is who whacked Roger Rabbit. And, um, takes a lick. Really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really think that that, that the third one is, uh, as good as the first one. It's really pretty good. The second one is good, but the third one is really exceptional. And uh, j just one thing, I want to go back to something I Please. got me going on this all in oh, the very first place. Um, when the when the first book came out, uh, you know, they, they obviously, they did sell out the 5,000 copies, and people did react very well to it. Uh, it sold into uh, paperback almost immediately and went through 16 printings, um, especially when it became... Uh, public knowledge that it was going to be a movie, you know, it was going to be a major motion picture, whatever. Uh, and then the Doubleday Book Club picked it up and put out a, a hardback, a hardbound book club edition. But uh, and, and all of the, the the paperback and the book club edition changed the photograph on the cover to artwork. So yes. they had an artwork rabbit, which they had a you know, and they had an artwork Eddie Valiant and. Both of the Eddie Valiants, the one on the Double Day cover and the one on the uh, paperback cover, look more like uh, Robert uh, Stack and Elliot Ness, I mean, <laughs> craggy looking, handsome kind of guy. Well, on the hardback uh, book club edition, they did not change the, uh, the, the copy on the back of the book. And so it says on there, the detective on the front cover is portrayed by Mr. Wolf. And of course, it's a, it's this ruggedly handsome guy who looks like, <laughs> you know, Elliot Ness. And so people bring me these books and book shows and stuff, and they look at the cover, they look at me, and say, "This isn't you, you know? Who who really wrote it? Where is this guy? I want this guy." So whenever I sign those, you know, my mark of authenticity, I always draw a beard on the guy, <laughs> on, the, guy on the cover. Yeah, Gary. I wanted last thing I wanted to ask you is if you had any insight into 
follow-ups on the film. It just seems bizarre that this thing was, you know, I was growing, when I was a kid, it was huge. Roger was opening mm-hmm. theme parks. He, he, I believe he hosted Mickey's 50th celebration. Shocking that yeah. there was only one. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and just like, where did, I don't know. I guess it's hard to not think sequel in twenty in, in the 2010s, <laughs> but like <laughs> that this was never followed up on. Well, I, I, you know, a lot of things happened uh, that were beyond my control. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jeff Katzenberg left Disney, went to afford a partnership with Steven. Um, the, the whole Pixar, Disney, uh, Disney thing, and now Disney seems more interested in promoting – uh, their Star Wars characters, uh, their Pixar characters, they're you know doing digital animation, which I don't think is really appropriate for Roger. I right, hand drawn animation is really the yeah. way to go. And you know I, I don't know, and this I, I have I have nothing to base this on except the fact that Disney doesn't seem that interested in doing anything with any of their classic characters, not just Roger but yeah. Mickey Mouse. You know they they seem more interested in what I would call the characters of the future, uh, the Marvel characters, the Star Wars characters, uh, and they just don't seem to be that interested in in the Roger character. You know, would a Roger sequel be well accepted? Uh, uh, I have no idea. I, the the latest accounting figures I have show that the Roger, the original Roger movie, is made close to a billion dollars. Yeah, and that's a B it. with a with a B, and it's spun off. It spun off the t- the Toontown theme parks. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it's given rise to a whole lot of stuff. Um, I'll, I, tell you, oh. I'll tell you, tell you one final story. When oh please, w- when I went to the uh, premiere at Radio City, uh, we were staying uh, in Chelsea somewhere with a friend of mine, and uh, I had heard that they had some merchandise at Macy's, and you know, I figured, well, you know, I'll, I'll go over to Macy's and see if I can find it. So I went in and I asked the, you know, the guy, the information is, where's the Roger Rabbit merchandise? He says, oh, it's up on three. And I said, oh, you know, we're on three. So you'll see it. <laughs> I, I get off the elevator and the entire floor is Roger Rabbit merchandise. Oh, and I'm thinking to myself, holy crow, <laughs> this is unbelievable. And I, I had vowed that I would buy the first piece of Roger Rabbit merchandise that I saw, I would buy it in the store and I would keep the sales receipt forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I only wish it had been a life-size doll or one of the Wendy Gell, uh, you know, really expensive Pave jewel pins, but it was a lunchbox. That's what oh, I have. Oh, yeah. yes, the red the one. Yep. <laughs> it was a red lunchbox. I don't, it doesn't even have a thermos in it. It's just a plain old red lunchbox. Yeah, with Benny the Cab's wheels fully extended. Benny the Cab's full wheels extended. It's a classic. It's a classic, and it it is uh, the one Roger Rabbit item that, because I get them for free now, but it was (laughs) the one Roger Rabbit item that the creator bought himself. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Whatever you can do to promote the character. You know, I'm just happy that people remember the character and know who the character is and seem delighted by what has been done with that character and with the whole concept of Toontown. It just, uh, it just warms my heart. It, it should. Uh, Cause me too, as a huge Roger Rabbit fan, you walk into Toontown and there's a mailbox section and it says 
Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, Roger, Jessica. And that's it. There's yeah. only six. And two of them yeah. are your characters. And you know that if you if you turn the dials on those yep. mailboxes, they'll talk to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you, and, and you know that if you go out to um, uh, to the main street of, of Toontown and stand over the manhole cover, you can hear the the weasels in the sewers oh, below the body oh, are going to yeah. kidnap yeah. Jessica. Oh, and, and, and my favorite thing is that there is not a single right angle in all of Toontown. Oh. Uh, no, no, my favorite thing is that if you're in Minnie's house and you're leaving Minnie's house and you look down at Minnie's easy chair just as you're leaving, you'll see a copy of Victoria's Secret, uh, which is actually Jessica's secret. And there's Jessica on the cover. <laughs> <wearing a negligee. laughs> I know. And then as you're walking out, if you turn around and look over your shoulder at Minnie's bookcase, you'll see a copy of my book. Awesome. Oh, neat. Awesome. That's that's the only thing else I'll ask from you here. I wanted to ask you all about if the Stooge was a real concept going on at Disney. Actually, was was that a real concept? Uh, Yeah, you know, I I can't, I I, I don't know what to tell you because, yeah, the Stooge was a a concept and... uh, Seems so cool. One of the, one of the, the reason why we we promoted, we, we came up with the Stooge was because one of the Disney executives at a very high level position said, you know, what I really want is a buddy movie with Mickey and Roger Rabbit. Yes. <laughs> okay, I can do that, right? Well, that high level person was John Lasseter. <laughs> we all know wow. what happened to him. I mean, he's out of there for groping Minnie Mouse. I don't know. <sighs> wow. But, um, wow. You, know, you know, whether whether that happens, whether any of these projects happen, um I, it's beyond my control. That's cool. I just want, but is there you have any other Roger Rabbit factoid that a fan might not know that you wanted to tell us right now? <laughs> ooh, ooh, uh, a Roger <laughs> Rabbit factoid. That yeah, a, a little fan. bit of trivia because you've already hit us several times, so you're not obligated. Um, <laughs> I I can't think. I think I've told you everything. No, I think come, I'm all, uh, come now, we could do a whole other wow. show of this. <laughs> I, th- I think you've wrung me dry here. I don't think I have anything. Oh, good man! It's, this is this is perfect. This is exactly what a uh, fan wanted to know. Thank you so much Very for beautiful. this interview, and thank you so much for creating these characters, man. They oh, it's my my pleasure. Hey, and, and uh, you might direct people to my website, www.garywolf.com. And in the book, especially, uh, I never got to tell you that. Like when reading it as an adult who's read some detective fiction, it is so much fun. This. First-hand account of this character straight-facedly describing cartoon characters in this mm-hmm. semi-serious detective story. It's awesome. It, like I didn't, I didn't get it as a kid, but I love it now. Yeah, I, you know, I think, uh, I think the book is is certainly an adult book. People always, uh, people always say, "Well, do you write children's books?" I know I don't write children's books. I write adult books. And uh, oh, I'll tell, I tell you. Uh, no, I can't tell you that. Story. Oh, <laughs> oh, no, what a tease! All right, so, all right, so um, you know, I, I, we were doing the book. I, we were doing the movie, right? And I, I, the movie had come out, and uh, I was, I was doing some, I was doing some promotional stuff for it. And my, my cousin, who was a third grade teacher in Berwyn, Illinois. Uh, asked me to come and address her third grade class, which I don't do anymore because uh, they expect to see Roger, not me. They expect <laughs> the rabbit to be there, not me. So uh, I, I, I did, I did the, um, I did the thing. And afterwards, this this kid comes up to me, and he is the third grade reporter, and he does a, like a newsletter, 
a mimeograph. And people don't even know what a mimeograph is anymore. But in those days, he still had a mimeograph. And he, he mimeographed this and <laughs> gave it to the whole school, right? So he wanted to do a little interview with me. So he interviewed me and asked me a bunch of questions. And at the end, he said, you know, that, that's all. And I said, okay. I said, I, I was a journalism major in college. And I'm going to give you a hint. If you want to be a journalist, he said, what you have to do at the end is you have to say, all right, is there anything that you can tell me that you've never told anybody before? Mm. Which actually, which you just did. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> journalism, great journalism. And so I said, you know, ask that question after every interview. And he said, okay, is there anything you can tell me that you've never told anybody before? So you know, I can't let the kid go hanging. So I said, yeah, all right. So I told him the story uh, that when, when we were making the movie, um, Steve Spielberg came up to me and said, hey, you know, I, I, I read your book when it first came out, but I don't have it anymore, and I'd like to have an autographed copy. And I said, sure, of course, Stephen. Well, when the book came out, St. Martin sent me 50 copies. And whenever a, a reader wrote to me and said, you know, I read your book, and I just thought it was just the greatest book in the world, I would take one of those 50 copies, sign it, and send it to him. Uh-huh. And pretty soon I was out of books. <laughs> I had I did not have a copy of my own book, which you know was no big deal for me. I mean, uh, it's not a problem. But when Steve Spielberg comes to me and said, "I'd like to have a copy of your book autographed," I said, "Sure." Well, I didn't have a copy, <laughs> so I had to I had to go to a used book dealer and buy a mint copy of my own book for three hundred dollars. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right, which I then signed and gave to Stephen. But of course, I didn't want to tell Stephen that he had a used book. So I said, yeah, this is my private, personal copy and whatever, whatever. <laughs> so I told the kid the Steven Spielberg story. And, you know, he printed his little mimeograph thing, which my cousin sent me. And it was just cute as, cute as the Dickens. It turns out that his father was a stringer for AP and printed that story in the paper. And it, <laughs> it, it came out. It, as a footnote in every paper in the United States. Wow. So, <laughs> so, so there went my, my story. But the, the interesting thing about it, 30 of the people that I sent those books to sent them back. Wow. They said, they said we don't want you to be without a copy of your own book. Aww. And they sent them back. Okay, can I have one? It's <laughs> hot <laughs> out of them again. Oh. Oh, kids have all the luck. <laughs> That's so awesome. Uh, yeah. uh, it's got to feel really cool, especially on the uh, eve of the 30th anniversary of the film, where he, he argu- inarguably got his like just worldwide exposure. That you man created this cool character the world loves and still remembers. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it's been a joy of my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine when I was writing it that that life would ever take this kind of a turn. I never realized that something that I created would have such a major impact. Well, thank you so much, Gary. Uh, You're over at GaryWolf.com? Yeah, GaryWolf.com. All right, man. Thank you so much. All right. It's my pleasure. Take care, guys. Thanks, Gary. (laughs) Take care, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope we didn't babble on too long in the beginning because I know (laughs) we, we just let Gary talk for the most part. Oh, amazing. But I, we are yeah. going to do a bunch of, we have a bunch of animation related stuff up on Laser Time right now. We have those yeah. Disney Disney animated movie legends debunked. 
Uh, If we don't have our interview with uh, animation historian Jerry Beck up, it will be soon. And, of course, we will eventually explain every Looney Tunes reference. Of course... (laughs) In a, in a show, it was. It's, Holy smokes! Why was Albuquerque ever a thing? <laughs> <laughs> Albuquerque is an awful New Mexican. Everybody's taking that wrong turn, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, we will do. We will do that, and we can. We are only able to do that through the help of uh, Patreon.com/slashlasertime. Uh, we offer over a hundred movie commentaries through that full-length movie commentaries. But most importantly, I think is a weekly uncensored show that we give exclusively to our patrons, and that's how you'd know who Cass and Kev are at this point uh, beforehand. But uh, thank you so much for the people who support us. Well, we will continue doing that, and we are going to grow that Patreon into hopefully some new stuff and some new rewards for the people who are willing to fork over the price of a cup of Starbucks coffee a (laughs) month to help keep your favorite show on the air. Uh, Keep your heart warm. Or your fourth favorite show. I know we're nobody's favorite show, but we might get there. We might get there. (laughs) Heck yeah, man. Yeah. I'm positive. Thank you, Gary, so much. Remember, you can go to lasertimepodcast.com to see uh, the rest of the information about this episode, where you can get the movie of the articles and content we've done around Roger Rabbit, which is more than you'd think. Uh, I wrote an article about why it might never happen again, and I should update it because the only positivity is that Steven Spielberg is working with Disney on making the movie BFG, and if this is a big oh, hit, yeah. maybe he'll want to work with them again. And uh, no, and it's, it yeah. seems... I think I think uh, yeah. I think Gary drove the nail in the coffin. I'm like, wow, this will never happen. In, yeah. in something he revealed uh, earlier. But that is it for us. You guys want to throw out any plugs for anything other than Capsi Video Lounge, uh, uh, movie gallery, and rental and uh, venue and theater? Um, oh, I thought you meant oh, like the old movie galleries, the sub blockbuster. Oh, oh um, <laughs> movie I, gallery I no longer more. is in Tallahassee, but yeah, Cap City Video Lounge. More. There you go. Yeah, yeah, movie that's rentals the one I know and one photography. That's our one of our big co-collaborators but other and than also, that you know <laughs> and also uh, we do reviews on trashcinemacollective.com yes. yeah. so feel free to come by there uh, mm-hmm. we've got a long back catalog 28 episodes oh of God, the Primal yeah. Roots Rotten Reviews so if you want to see <laughs> want to see me act like an idiot and with a bunch of <laughs> scantily clad women yes. yeah please check that out <laughs> yes I know we also streamed Who Framed Roger Rabbit the wonderful I say b- girding my teeth NES game uh, <laughs> <laughs> um on youtube.com slash laser time. And you can check out that and a bunch of other. Hopefully we'll have some more additions to that very soon. Thank you guys so much for listening. Check out GaryWolf.com, lasertimepodcast.com, and support us at patreon.com slash laser time. Bye. <laughs>